So an exercise for you is to think about the word church. And what comes to mind when you hear that word church? And maybe even ask the question, do you believe in church? Which seems kind of a strange question, doesn't it? But we've been doing a series on the Apostles' Creed. If you're not familiar with the Apostles' Creed, it's this statement of faith that comes from the early church. A summary, a kind of a guide for reading. It's not everything that we believe, but it helps us narrow down some of the essentials of belief. It's printed in your bulletin if you're not familiar with it right after that song we just sang about I am the church. It begins by saying, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And then I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. And it talks about Jesus who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, and buried. And I believe in the Holy Spirit. We're like, yeah, I can get behind all that stuff. And then we come to the line we're looking at today. And I believe in the Holy Christian Church. And you think, what do you mean I believe in the church? What exactly does it mean to believe in the church? And especially when we start to think about those thoughts, those ideas that may come to mind when we think of church. Because when we think of the word church, and if you were to ask other people and say, well, what do you think of when you think of church? The conversation might start off pretty good at first. Oh, church, I like going there. There's some great music and oh, the fellowship is fun and I'm learning and I'm growing. And then after a while of that conversation about church, it might take a turn towards something a little worse. Well, church, yeah, I don't know about that. Those people there, they're not always kind of ni so nice. Oh, yeah, church, those hypocrites. Oh, church. And it just kind of goes downhill from there. And so when we say, well, I believe in the resurrection, we can get behind that. But what does it mean to believe in the church? And so we're going to be thinking about that today, what it means to believe in the church. And part of when we say we believe in the church is what is it we're believing in? And recognizing that it's not simply what we experience, but it's a belief of what can be. Because one of the things we recognize about all the other things in the creed, we talk about God who made everything. We talk about Jesus who suffered and died and was raised again and now sits at God's right hand and reigns. We talk about the Holy Spirit. Those are all things that God has done or God is doing. And then we come to, I believe in the Christian church. And then we say the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Again, all God things done. But sometimes we want to separate out, I believe in the church and think of it. Well, that's something we do. And what I want us to think about today is church it's also something that God does and has done. But I want to start first with this quote from Eugene Peterson, a, a pastor, scholar, one of my favorite authors. And this is what he says about church. He says this, Soon or late, those of us who follow Jesus find ourselves in the company of men and women who also want to get it on in it, that is the community of Christ, it doesn't take long to realize that many of these fellow volunteers and workers aren't much to our liking. And some of them we actively dislike. A mixed bag of saints and sinners. The saints sometimes harder to put up with than the sinners. He goes on and says, Jesus doesn't seem to be very discriminating in the children he lets into his kitchen to help with the cooking. And maybe that's how we feel sometimes. That we're called to be together and we this great command of love. And I can't even like some of the people sometimes, let alone love them. But God has this habit and Jesus has this habit of not 
caring about our feelings or what we think or how we evaluate things, but instead invites these people to come in. And so we have this line, I believe, in the Holy Christian Church in the communion of saints. So one of the questions we want to ask is, what do we do when the church doesn't feel very holy? And maybe you've had conversations like this, and maybe, and I know I've had conversations like that with people over 20 plus years in full-time ministry of people who come and say, I'm frustrated, I'm discouraged, I'm upset. And I'll say, well, tell me more about that. And they'll say, I don't like people at church. I don't like Christians. And I sometimes have to nod my head and say, yeah, I get it. Because we say this, I believe in a holy Christian church and then we look around and we can start simply by looking in the mirror in the morning. And we say, holy? Yeah, holy smokes, right? <laughs> and then we get on and we continue on and then we all we look outside at the church and we see abuse and sexual scandals and all kinds of things. People stealing from the church, people abusing church. We see racism and hatred and all kinds of things. And we say, a holy church? You're kidding me, right? How can I confess this? I mean, I can, I can confess I believe in the resurrection. I can confess in the whole, I believe in the Holy Spirit. But I believe the church is holy? I'm not so sure about that. But first, we maybe start with the question, what do we mean by church? And Jan set us up well with that, with the children's message. You know, I remember I, my kids were trying to get me to come up here and do this, but I refused. But that song was a song I learned growing up in Sunday school. We had motions with it. And I don't remember all the ones, you know, the church is not a building, church is not a steeple, church is not a resting place, church is the people or people, something, I don't remember the, all the different, yeah, maybe that was what, you know, church is not a building, church is not a steeple, church. something, but, but there were these motions in reminding ourselves the church is a people, but it isn't just the church, that's been God's plan all through the scripture, is a people. He calls Abraham and says, I'm going to make you into a great nation, and he calls the nation of Israel to be his people, and then when he calls the people in the New Testament together, Jesus gathers around for himself a people. The letters of the New Testament are written to communities. The scripture and all of God's plan assumes that he is going to work in and through a community of people. That's the way God has always done it. So when he talks in 1 Peter 4.10 and uses that language, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that's all talking about a group of people. In other words, I would say this, churchless Christianity does not exist. Churchless Christianity does not exist. The church is not an afterthought. Ephesians 4 verse 1 where Susan read, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And it goes on and talks about keeping the unity of the Spirit, one body, one spirit. And then the rest of Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 talks about living the life of faith, and it assumes you will live it in a community. Faith isn't something to go off and live by yourself somewhere, but instead it's something to be lived here. And so that brings us back to that thought when we say church is holy. Well, it certainly doesn't seem like it, but I guess part of it is to say, what do we mean when we say holy? One definition, sometimes we think of that word holy as meaning like really good people, right? I mean, holy as the ones who do everything right. And that's part of the meaning of holy. But another sense of the word holy 
is to be set apart or devoted. And so, for example, in 1 Peter 2, 9, it says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of his darkness and into his light. Or Paul, the right, one of the main writers in the New Testament, often uses this language. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people or to God's saints in Ephesus. And he says this in nearly every one of his letters. He refers to the people of the church as the saints, the holy ones. And again, we ask that question, saints? What do we mean by that? But one of the things we pay attention to is this is God's declaration, God's expression of who we are. It's not simply a reflection of who we think we are, but it's who God is saying we are. And it's also recognizing that our holiness isn't something we generate on our own, but instead it's God who makes us holy through Jesus Christ. And so God declares us to be holy. So when we say we believe in a holy Christian church, in other words, we're believing that God has declared us to be holy and also that God has set us apart, or I like the word devoted us to be holy. And we think of it in this way, that it's a calling to be who we are. So in his letter to the Corinthians, he starts off, he says, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. So we're set up, sanctified, set apart, declared holy, but then we're set apart together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord. So what does it mean to be holy or devoted? And so I was thinking of it this way, is that it's being set apart, devoted for a special purpose. Now imagine that you have a 57 Chevy Bel Air. Yeah, people are like, and you've restored this thing from the ground up. Everything's new old sockets, polished. You've got 20 coats of wax on it. It's shining up and stuff. And then your husband asks you to go pick up some manure from the farm store. Could the, would the 57 Chevy Bel Air work for that? Yeah, it, I mean, it's got a big trunk. I mean, there, you could hold a whole lot in that thing, right? But would you use that? Maybe once. <laughs> to pick that up or to, to haul the trash or to, or to throw all the, the scrap from a work project. And in a sense, it works for that, but it's set apart in some sense for a different purpose. You know, or if you have a set of fine golf clubs. I'm not a golfer, but I mean, a golf club would work as a hammer in a pinch, Right? But if you've got a $300 driver, you're not going to use it as a hammer. And so when it talks about God setting us apart or devoted, he's saying we've been called to a special purpose. And so when we say we believe in the Holy Christian Church, it's recognizing that God has called and made us holy, but he's also set us apart to be different. That we are called. And so like in the letter to the Colossians, he says, Therefore, as God's holy people, clothe yourselves with compassion and patience and justice. So to clothe yourselves. And so when we say we believe in a holy Christian church, what we're saying is God has called us and set us apart for something different. He's called and set us apart to live different kinds of lives. It's not simply a matter of the life we live, but a life to live into. And so 
One of my professors in seminary used to talk about it this way. He said, we've been given an identity and there's a reality. We are made holy and we're called now to live into that identity. He's declared us to be holy and now he's wanting us to grow into that. And we recognize that as we think about that. We say, well, if we could just go back. Sometimes we say, well, what about the early church? Well, I read you the opening line from the letter to the Corinthians where Paul calls them the holy people in Corinth. I would invite you, if you think the people in Corinth were holy people, to read the rest of that letter. Where there's a guy sleeping with his mother-in-law and they're fighting at the Lord's Supper and the list goes on and on and on. But Paul has the gall at the very beginning of it to say, he knows this when he writes the letter. He starts the letter to saying, oh, to God's holy people in Corinth. And then goes on and says, you're a mess. And you got all kinds of problems and you're sinning in all kinds of really big ways. So what does he mean? He says, God has made you holy. God has called you to be holy. And then what Paul is doing is he's doing these things. He's saying, live into that holy calling that you have been called to. There's no pristine church to go back to. There never was a perfect church and there won't be this side of Jesus coming back. But one of the great things about that is, and you think, well, what's so good about that? The great thing is we can remind ourselves is, our brokenness won't destroy God's work. There has never been a holy church. There were no holy churches in the beginning, but that early church exploded and changed the world. And it was filled with broken and sinful people. And so sometimes we think, well, how can we do anything? I mean, we're just a bunch of broken and sinners. That's true, but us being broken, us being sinners doesn't destroy God's work. It also reminds us there's room for all of us. So when we say a holy Christian church, it isn't a matter of us looking and saying, well, sorry, you're not holy enough. You're not welcome here. But it's a calling and saying, this church is open to all. And the other thing is we recognize if we're not honest about our sin, if we say, yeah, we're a holy church, we declare, we confess, well, we are a holy Christian church and we believe we're without fault, how can we witness to grace to those around us? I like this. Dr. Beth Felker Jones says it this way. He says, to be a Christian is to know the failure of the church. I like that. To be a Christian is to know the failures of the church. The practice of ecclesiology, which is just fancy language for the study of the church. The practice of ecclesiology is to pray for the grace to love and to live in the life of that church without denying what we know. I'm going to read that again. The practice of ecclesiology, the practice of church, is to pray for the grace to love and live in the life of that church without denying what we know. In other words, to declare ourselves to be a holy Christian church isn't to say, oh, we don't have any problems in our church. We're all good people here. But to declare ourselves to be a holy Christian church and to live that is to live in love with the knowledge that we are that way. So to believe in a holy Christian church is not to believe in our current perfection, to confess that our holiness is by connection with Jesus, and that it is something we live into. And then it says we believe in a holy Christian church. Or, depending on what your background is, and if you did the Apostles' Creed, it may have said the holy Catholic church. 
And that can be confusing to some of us because we hear the word Catholic and we think of the Roman Catholic Church. But the word Catholic simply means the universal church. And so that's why we in our tradition and many other traditions substitute the word Christian for Catholic so that we don't get into that confusion. Because if we had been here this morning and we had just recited the Apostles' Creed and we said we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, some of you would have said, we do what? But Catholic, we, by that we mean universal. In other words, when Paul says in Ephesians 4, I'm going to read again part of what Susan read earlier, and I want you to listen and see if anything stands out to you. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all. Anything stand out to you? Seven, one. One, right? One. So how many lords are there? One. How many spirits? One. How many bodies? One. And so when we say we believe in the Holy Christian, the Holy Universal Church, we're saying we're all a part of this church universal. It's a worldwide church. And sometimes we can get our eyes focused on just, we say, oh, the church is falling apart. The church isn't growing. Well, maybe if we just look at the church here in the United States, but if we were to look at the church in Africa, the church on the continent of South America, we would see a church that's growing and expanding. And so when we say we believe in the Holy Christian Church or the Holy Catholic Church, it's to remind ourselves that the church isn't limited to the people who gather at Fruitland Covenant on Sunday morning. It's not limited to the people who gather in Whitehall or the people who are a part of the Evangelical Covenant Church or the Southern Baptist Convention or the Episcopal Church or the Lutheran Church or the Lutheran... But instead, it's all of God's people who gather all around the world under the banner of Jesus. One church, one faith, one God and Father over all who is over all and through all and in all. So again, back, going back to Eugene Peterson. Um, Eugene Peterson in his writings, and you may know him best, he was the one who did the, trans, the message translation, but has written numerous commentaries and great books on being a pastor. And he had a conversation with another pastor once, and Eugene Peterson has been critical of the American church at many times, saying we've been failing to live into this calling. And one time, this pastor was talking to Eugene Peterson and he asked Eugene about this and he said, well, what do, you, did you, what do you think of this? What would you say to people who read your criticisms of the church and then decide to leave the church and go and start their own thing? Say, well, I don't, I don't need the church. And by that, people usually mean the organized group thing. But say, you know, I can just, I can go out in the woods and I can have church. I, I can go on my back deck and, sit around the barbecue with some of my friends, and that's my church. And so this pastor said to Eugene Peterson, so what would you say to them? Is it, are, they, are they following what you said? And Eugene Peterson had a great response to that. He said, what I would ask them is, is there room for anyone not like you? Is there room for anyone not like you? And so when we confess a holy Christian church, that's what we're saying, a holy Catholic church is, the church is supposed to be made up of people who are like us, 
but also people who are not like us, who come from different backgrounds, who have different thoughts on things, all this stuff. And so we're recognizing that when we create a church, when we're gathered here as a church, is there room for people who are not like us? Are we living into what God has called us to, to say there is one body, one spirit, that we are called to live a holy Christian church? And then we go on and we say the communion of saints. And this is about unity and oneness. And again, this language of, we say, well, certainly not a whole lot of unity and oneness in the church today. I mean, I don't know how many denominations there are in the United States. I mean, it seems like there's probably a new one starts every day. As churches split and say, but, but we're called to be one. And so Paul, again, there's one body and one spirit. And he's writing to churches he knows that are splitting apart and having divisions. But I think what we confess when we say the communion of saints is to invite ourselves to say, what draws us together? And what draws us together? One of the things is this Apostles' Creed. And that's one of the things why we've been doing this series and focusing on this is because one of the great things about the Apostles' Creed is you could go to Lutheran churches and Presbyterian churches and Episcopal churches and all kinds of different churches across the United States and they would all confess and not only across the United States but around the world and they would use these same words that I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. In other words, that's what draws us together. Things like this, the bap, this allegiance to Jesus and drawing us together. And so when we say, we believe in the Holy Christian Church and in the communion of saints. We're recognizing that God has done and is doing something. That us being holy, that us being united, that us being one isn't something we do, but something that God has done and is inviting us to live into. He has set us apart. He has made us holy. And now he's saying, invite us into that and to live out that way. And so, yeah, we have objections and plenty of people would have objections. Oh, the church isn't very holy. The church isn't united. It's not those things. And you can say, you're right. It's not, but that's who God has called us to be and he's inviting us into it. And so this afternoon, we have some folks who are going to be baptized and you heard that language in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. There was one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Because baptism is this wonderful picture of many of these things we've just confessed. Because what happens at baptism? We take a person and we plunge them under the waters. We think about water. What do we use water for? Lots of different things, but one of the primary things water does is wash. And so baptism, I think one of the amazing things about baptism to me is there, there's a lot of symbolism that goes on. There's a lot of pictures, a lot of things that go on. And we, we perform this act, this sacrament, this act of faith. And in that, we're representing and picturing things like the word, like the saying goes, what a picture is worth a thousand words. And so this act shows us many things. And so we take an individual comes and declares their allegiance to Jesus and we plunge them under the waters. And as they're plunged in the waters, it's this symbol, this picture of these waters of God's Holy Spirit washing over and cleansing the sins within a person. 
Now, does the person pop out of the water and all of a sudden they're free of all sin? Sure. No. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. If that's the way it's supposed to happen, I haven't been doing it right. <laughs> because it's never worked that way. So we said, well, wait a minute. Are they what? Well, in God's eyes, again, this is that picture of holy. In God's eyes, as they've given their lives to Jesus Christ, and Jesus stands in their place, and God sees his righteousness, and they're united with Jesus in his righteousness, they are declared holy and righteous. Are they holy or are they not? Yes. They're both. Or as Martin Luther said, that we're saints and sinners both. And so the picture of baptism as we gather people together for baptism, we plunged other waters and we're declaring they are holy, made holy by God. And then second part of that picture of baptism, they go under the waters and then they're brought out of the waters. And Paul in his letter to the Romans compares that to someone else who went under and then was raised up. Jesus. And so someone baptized goes under, they die with Christ, and then they're raised with Christ. And oftentimes when I baptize someone, I'll say, I'll take them into the water and I say, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and under the water. And then rise to new life. Because again, it's this picture of someone who has died with Christ and now is being raised to new life. And what's that new life? That new life is living into that holiness that we have been called to. And so again, I'll go to Colossians chapter 3. And he starts off at Paul, his letter to the Colossians starts off in chapter 3, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and now your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And then he says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, that life before. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off all your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Jew, Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all it is in all. See, hear that language of a universal church? There aren't barriers. There aren't pedigrees. There aren't divisions to say, well, no, this kind of this church for this kind of people. It said, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgives you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So in the act of baptism, we're called and we die with Christ, and then we're raised with Christ and called to live into this new life. Just as we are called to be holy. And we also recognize when it says there is one baptism, that everyone is baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that we're united in that. So when we baptize individuals, 
this afternoon. They will be united in Christ with all of you who have been baptized. Whether you were baptized here at Fruitland Covenant Church or at a Lutheran church or at a Methodist church or at a camp somewhere, whether you were baptized when you were 50 or five days old. And not only are you, they will be united with them, but they will be united with believers in Mexico, in Chile, in Argentina, in China, in Vietnam, Somalia, Congo, Germany, Russia, Belarus, Yugoslavia, all around the world, united with each and every one of those believers. And here's where it gets even better. Not only united with them who are alive now in the church, but united with the church throughout history. The communion of saints refers not to simply all the saints, all of you today, but all the saints. And by, again, saints, we sometimes think of like, oh, the people who were really good. But the saints being all those who are in Jesus, who have lived throughout the ages. You can read about it in the book of Revelation, these pictures of the saints gathered around the throne. And so when we are plunged into that union, we're united with them. We learn from them. We are a part of that same family. We sang that song earlier today, one of my favorite hymns for all the saints, for all the saints who from their labors rest, who thee by faith before the world confessed. In other words, the saints, who are the saints? All those who have confessed the name of Jesus. And then that final line of the hymn where it talks about from earth's wide bounds, from ocean's farthest coast, through gates of pearl, streams in the countless host. This amazing picture of saying, when we confess the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, it's a picture of life here on earth, but it's also this expectation of the life to come when God makes all things right and we will be gathered with the saints through the ages. All these people that maybe we, we looked different, we had disagreements with about lots of different things, but in the end we were united in one thing and that was a faith in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We were united in one thing and that we were baptized into Jesus Christ, that we declared our allegiance to him as the one true king. And so to believe in the Holy Christian Church and the communion of saints is to confess that that is what God is doing. It's not about who we are or what we're doing, but about what God is doing to make us holy, to make us one, and to make us in communion with the saints around the world and across time. And I believe that's what God is doing. And so when we confess that, that's what we confess. We confess again that God is at work. He's at work in my life and in your life, making you holy. He's at work in you, calling you to a greater life. He's at work in you, uniting you with believers here in this community and around the world. And he will continue that until that day when the saints are streaming in. So let us confess together and believe that that is who God is and what God is doing. That he is making us 
and has made us into saints. You are the saints of God. And so may we proclaim his praises, the one who has made us one, the one who is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.